Hello, hello, welcome to episode 32 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Libraries podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I'm your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Miracle. And we are happy to have you here listening to us yet again. Although, Jacob, in all truth, I could listen to you talk to me all day, every day. And I would gladly do so because it is the highlight of my week all the time. I assume you mean listening to yourself because my nasally buffalo voice is not just as buttery smooth as you. I don't know about that. I disagree completely. <laughs> yes, you totally <laughs> I know. Frog I, in your I know. I, at the perfect time, I absolutely completely lost my voice at that you time. sounded terrible. Ugh. You really can't handle compliments. Um, um, yeah, see, they, my body literally is rejecting it, hearing a compliment. Oh, in that boy. Moment. Oh, Ugh. boy. I'm sorry. I didn't it's a do great, it. great way to start the day, <laughs> let me tell you. But anyway, um, so last week we did an episode where we talked about some of our favorite documentaries, and I got some, some positive feedback in the halls, Jacob, and people oh, wanted more. No, well, they wanted to hear about some more documentaries. So we are here to entertain the people. So it is. Let's do it, it is that. So I actually want to quickly mention one that's still in theaters that I I went out to see and loved so much. So I assume you've heard about RBG. Ah, uh, yes, I have. So it's a portrait of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the film, which was produced by CNN, provides an intimate look into her personal and professional life from like her decades-long work on gender equality, um, her 56-year love affair with her husband, Martin. Aww. Oh, I love them. They're a really beautiful couple. Martin and then, Bader Ginsburg. It, <laughs> that could work. But And then the film delves into her cultural import from, like, all of the notorious RBG stuff and then just, you know, her planking, like a woman 30 years her junior. So she is very impressive. But... uh. I think that the documentary itself is really resonating with people because it's so intimate. And she's just an all-around, like a really unlikely sort of rock star. As we see, as she has joined us for every episode of All Booked Up. You bet. On my mug. She's always there. Always there staring at me, giving me that dirty, She is. She usually wants to give a dissent on all of your wrestling picks. She's just like, I need to disagree with this. So. Spoiler alert, she might not like today again. I always, I'm always getting judged oh, by RBG. Lord. Always getting and, judged by RBG. And there go all of our listeners. Um, but otherwise, so we have a few more uh, documentary picks that are pretty awesome, maybe people don't know about. So, yeah. I mean, I hope so. I hope they don't know about them. Otherwise, we're just... We're, just, we're here to waste your time. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So this one, let's see if you've heard of it. It's really amazing. It's called Born into Brothels. I've heard of it, but I have not uh, not seen it. You probably heard of it because it won uh, the Academy Award for Best Documentary in 2005. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. So it it has documentary photographer Zaina Brisky, and she journeyed into Calcutta's underworld to photograph the city's prostitutes. And in return for that, she offered to teach the prostitutes' children the basics of photography so that the kids could document their own lives on the streets in, like, you know, one of the world's poorest cities. And it reminds me in the sense of, like, Marwin Call when we were talking about this this odd thing, but that the photos were so amazing, and, like, the resulting photos from these kids are totally astonishing. They're just, like, they're rich in color and the subject matter, and they, like, really capture the intimacy of, like, the everyday life in this 
crazy like overpopulated sections of Calcutta and then in the film the proceeds of the sale of the children's photographs because like the art world caught on and wanted to start buying them and that now funds like the kids future education oh well that's good then I mean it's a hard subject matter to watch because these kids lives you're just like Oh, I'm just so lucky because of where I was born. Like, so much of it is not about hard work or this or that. You know what I mean? It is, like, just where you happen to start off pretty much dictates exactly yeah. where you'll go. And you're looking at these kids like, what is? what are their options here? Yeah, it's a, you're starting life already, like, pretty pretty far down the, the tab, uh, t- tab pole, down the totem pole there. Yeah. You, uh, Born the problem, and it doesn't seem like a very good situation. Like, I don't know much about Calcutta, but it usually the things I do here are not usually that complimentary to it. So, I can't imagine I mean, imagine it's that like it's, it's poor and it's and it's overcrowded, but you know, and because of that, the film you think is going to automatically make you feel one way, but it manages to be really touching without being like maudlin and then really beautiful without ignoring reality. So, it has like a really good mix. Um, very, it's just very beautiful. So I highly recommend people go check it out. Yeah, it's a, it's an Oscar winner. So you know, sometimes they know what they're talking about. Sometimes, you know, I, we are we can discuss that all day because I actually found out a fun fact the other yesterday. Okay. Did you know that in 1986, Crocodile Dundee was nominated for best screenplay? Like, was it really? Yes, it was. It was. I was listening to a podcast about Platoon. And they mentioned that it was up against Crocodile Dundee for best screenplay that year. Well, I mean, they did write in that he should walk on the heads of all the subway people, and I support that. That's that's, that's a win. That's in the Crocodile Dundee script, really? Well, I imagine. It probably says. I mean, it happens in the movie, so it has to be in the script. Don't you remember the end when he I, walks on the heads? I haven't seen Crocodile Dundee in, like... 20 years dude easy, the end of the movie first of all the end of the movie is the best because the girl is like waiting to get on the new york city subway and it's hilarious because in the station like underground mm-hmm. there's just like thousands and thousands of people and growing up i was like whoa new york city's cray and then you go there and you're like oh there's like seven people waiting for the train but yeah and he needs to get to her so he just walks on the heads of all the people. Come on, whatever, man. The we, fact that you forgot this, one of the greatest <laughs> love stories of our time. We, we got to take a deep dive one day into the <laughs> Crocodile Dundee series. There are three of them and, you know, of varying qualities, but there's a lot to dig into there. Can we Then we can work on our Crocodile Dundee uh, impressions. Cause Crikey. It's going to turn into a Crocodile Hunter. That's not a knife. <laughs> This it's, is a knife. It's a much, much better Australian <laughs> accent than mine. Thank you. I'm gonna. I have to like watch some old Mel Gibson movies and try to like go the Gibson route of the Australian accent. It's the only Gibson route you should ever take. Just FYI, that's the only one. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, yeah, you're probably right there. Uh, gonna... All right. What do you have for us? Okay, so I'm gonna go with. Uh, it's a topical because it also has a fun show on Netflix and here at the library. I'm gonna go with the documentary Glow. The Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. And this is the documentary about the actual... Oh, I didn't like, know there real. was a, an actual documentary about it. I love that show. Oh, yeah. Uh, so for those who are unaware, Glow was a uh, female wrestling company in the uh, mid to late 80s. Uh, they only lasted for about two or three seasons, um, but they still had a good cultural impact. And it was really a goofy show. I, don't, I remember watching this when I was a kid, you know, being the fan that I am. And it's... The wrestling was bad. The acting was terrible. But it was one of those shows that just had a charm to it. Yeah. It's the always the idea that, like, 
if you just if you're gonna fail at something or make something bad, if you'd really try your hardest to just go for it, it could still turn out to be something memorable and great. Okay, because you still feel how genuine the person creating it. Yeah, was. like you can just tell, like these people, like they were really they were trying. This is the best they could do. It's not like they were phoning it in or they. Uh, it wasn't like through a lack of effort. It mm-hmm. was just like lack of resources or just not much training. But Glow was always a fun company, and it also dives into how it got started, how it gained in popularity, um, where the some of the wrestlers are now, which, you know, as most wrestling fans, Were they, little... like, on the show? I mean, are they taking directly from that? So, like, they're really um, offensive characters that they all play. They're, like, extreme stereotypes. Do they do that in the real glow? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they <laughs> had, like, the, the full-on, like, everything that they're emulating Every character on the show. is, like, it's such a terrible <laughs> stereotype. Oh, yeah, that's, funny. that's what it was. Everybody was very, like, strict characters. Okay, cool. Um, One of them actually went on to become a really good wrestler, actually, which is, I guess, would be the uh, the welfare queen equivalent on the show. Okay. Because one of them was actually a legit, like, Hall of Fame WWE wrestler. Wow. This is your first wrestling pick. Like, I'm pumped about Ooh, it. Ooh, yeah. Go Look check it you. out. you. You did it. I knew it. I knew I would do it one day. You got me. So, yeah, go check out Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, and enjoy yourself. Yeah, definitely. Wow, I'm real pumped. Okay, so let me bring it back down because the energy was too From high. The height, the height of that. <laughs> to, um, to the documentary Jesus Camp. Have you seen that one? Uh, no. Okay. So the two filmmakers, Heidi Uwig and Rachel Grady, visit um, in this documentary an evangelical Christian summer camp called Kids on Fire, where in it children take part in programs designed to, like, strengthen and intensify their beliefs. And the camp's founder, Becky Fisher, discusses, like, her mission to indoctrinate youths into the Word of God Um but like doing this through young campers playing like combat video games and, you know, talking about their love for Jesus, like her, her direct quote from her is like extreme liberals who look at this should be quaking in their boots because she is grooming children to be soldiers in God's army and that her belief is that one day the growing evangelical movement in the U.S. will one day end the constitutional ban separating church and state. Mm. So that is her Her goal is to just, I mean. I think she skipped a few chapters. The kids, the like, you know, really play with guns. Like, the idea, like, the whole thing is that they're, like, this army. Um, it's, it's extremely, it is emotionally exhausting to watch, like, because it feels really bad because there are elements of it where you're like, wait, time out, is this, could this be, like, child abuse? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it has a real sense of, you know, you've seen, like, some Christian camps where you're like, well, kids are, like, singing and they're enjoying each other and they're and they're doing crafts yeah. and, and things like that. And, you know, you know, worshiping and reading the Bible and whatnot. But this is, like, it feels, you know, no, it sounds different. Li- yeah, it sounds like a little... It's, it's definitely, like, tough to watch, especially when you see, like, a six-year-old or something, like, talking about these things where you're like, well, you don't... It's not that you don't really believe or understand that yet. So, you know, there was talk like some evangelicals saw it as like a fair representation of their culture while, you know, it got a lot of blowback from, you know, left-leaning audiences, which saw it, you know, as like a malicious force of right-wing indoctrine. Um, So you kind of have to watch it and get your own opinion on what you really feel is going on there. But they make comments of like, you know, when we really push these kids then to all get into politics. So it seems like 
it's really more politically motivated well, than sounds. religiously, so it's very interesting. I don't know. If only there was some other kind of comparison to teaching children how to use weapons for a religious purpose in the background. Like, there's, That's never turned out negatively for the yeah, entire exactly. world, so I'm sure that that's perfectly fine. Then. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just hard, too, when, you, when you see pushing messages into, into like the young brains, because you know how like f- the formative years, how important they are, so it's definitely worth checking out to see like how you feel like you know do you think that this looks okay or do you think that it looks over the top well just off you know off your description there i'm gonna say uh, no that's not okay not not cool guys Anytime, you know but it's like the way that you it sort of sounds lean, like actually so building like a militia to be honest with well, you. well i think that's kind of like her goal but she really feels that while it's militia it's one that is going to have such a positive end game but it's positive in her views so it's it's just you know yeah, insert that meme of the guy just kind of looking really confused hearing somebody say that. Yeah, yeah. Like, huh? that can what? happen. So, yeah. But What's it's worth on? checking out. It's at the library, so come grab it. All right. Well, oh. it's next. I am going to go with Red Army. It is not what, not what you think it is. It is the story of the uh, Soviet USSR hockey team. Okay. Um, and they're, cause back in the day before, you know, the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, Russia was the best hockey team in the world. Better than Canada, um, you know, they were on par, you know, but a lot of times Russia still got the better of them, especially in Olympic competition. Um, Their main team, while technically members of the Red Army, uh, they were just professional hockey players at a time where the Olympics and international competition was supposed to be just amateurs. Mm -hmm. So while the other countries are bringing out like high or college players, junior players, guys who weren't good enough for the NHL level, Russia's just out there um, knocking out with literally professionals, some of the best players in the world, and just, like, dominating international competition. And it gets into how they did it, the system that they used, um, how the players themselves were kind of completely mistreated, and they were just kind of like political pawns who only wanted to play hockey. Okay. Um, And it also gets into how that all, like, how it was built up, the coaches, the um, guys on the team, and then how it inevitably started to fall apart as, you know, when Russia collapsed, they didn't have that system anymore. And then it gave the players a chance to kind of come over to the United States and finally get to be in the NHL. Because some of the best hockey players in like international history never got a chance to be in the NHL because they played in Russia. And because they were over there, they that's weren't allowed to play That's very interesting. I mean, that's a bummer. Yeah, so they would always try to defect. Um, anytime they would go to international competitions, like they couldn't leave their room. If they did, they always had like a... Um, quote-unquote bodyguard who was really just a guy in the army making sure they didn't run away oh like when you go to north korea yeah and you have like a yeah. tour guide but yeah, they don't exactly. leave your side yeah. exactly and they were like they're talking about how that was all going but how that still despite all of those hardships all the guys on the team they just loved playing so much that they you know that they just kept that's why they stepped at it and they ended up leaving a pretty uh important legacy in hockey so Okay. It's still a team that's looked at as one of the greatest of all time. I love even though it lost to the U.S. Olympic team. How much you love sports? You oh, love really? Sports so much. There's, they're great. Sports are great. I don't know why you're not a fan of them as much. I mean, it's not that I'm not a fan. Like I, I do like watching some sports. It's just like you love sports. I do. Not all of them, but yeah. Which sport don't you like? I'm not a huge soccer guy. Except you'll watch the World Cup. Well, it's a championship. Like you should watch. You should always watch the championship games of every sport. I mean, that's I like, gonna get your, you're gonna get yeah, the best. Yeah, that's true. Out of I mean, I watch the Super Bowl. I'll watch the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I usually watch the World Cup if, if I can. Yeah, it's the thing. Like it's the chance where you get to see guys absolutely trying their hardest. Like in, 
it's you get an honest representation of everybody because of, you're getting yeah, the best of the best too. Yeah, you're getting an all out effort by the best of the best. You're just seeing exactly how good. And then I don't have to be really stressed out if my team loses because I'm like, oh, I don't care about either team. Yeah, and especially. So I can just enjoy it and not you, be stressed. You might actually enjoy soccer more because since you live in the United States, we are terrible. So we are never in any kind of situation where we're going to have to worry about winning anything. We can right. just go and have fun. And if they all looked like David Beckham, I'm in. Yeah. I'm sold. Some okay. of them do. Get, get your Ronaldo on. He's okay. He doesn't really do it for me. Did you ever see that goofy statue that they made of him where he looks oh, like Sloth from the Goonies? Oh, it was great. Oh, I love when they make terrible statues of people. <laughs> we could just talk about that at some point because it's wonderful. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, so the next one I want to talk about, actually, I think I will lead with a clip and then I'll talk about it. All right, let's do it. I thought, wouldn't it be exciting to communicate with a chimp? and find out what it was thinking. So why not teach him sign language? And that's essentially why I started Project Nim. I know nothing about chimpanzees. Herb wanted me to take Nim into my home as if he were a child. The fact that we could share language with an animal seemed very radical at that time. There was no family discussion. It was just, oh, we're having a chimp. We're going to teach a sign language. Nobody in the house really was fluent in sign language. Everything was about treating him like a human being. He liked alcohol. He loved driving fast in cars. I breastfed him for a couple of months. It seemed completely natural. I couldn't believe it. It was the 70s. <laughs> okay, so that is the trailer for Project Nim. So it is about Nim Chimpsky. Oh boy. Yep, take that in. So it's a chimpanzee who in the 1970s became the focus of this landmark experiment, which aimed to show that an ape could learn to communicate with language if raised and nurtured like a human child. So Nim was born in captivity in Oklahoma, and then he was taken from his mother after a few days by Herbert Terrace, who was a Columbia professor. And then he recruited his student, Stephanie Lafarge, to be the chimp's foster mother. So in his early years, like Nim... He was a bright and affectionate child, and he quickly learned what would grow into a vocabulary of 125 signs. Oh. And, yeah, I mean, it's really extraordinary. Like, they, they truly loved him like a family member, and it follows his extraordinary journey through human society and then the enduring you know, impact that he makes on people that he meets along the way. Mm, that's interesting. So, and I mean, his name is Nim Chimsky, so, which is like a play on Noam Chomsky, who's obviously, people don't know, a linguist who suggested some human language skills might be hardwired at birth. So that's what they were kind of trying to, to play with. Um, I will add something. As with all things, there's, a, there's some sadness in well, this, the way that I mean, this kind of goes. I, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not any kind of like... Um, reader of minds or anything, but something tells yeah. me that it's going to end with a dead monkey at the end of this documentary. I'm not, it, it's not that. So I'm not saying that, but you know, things, you can't really live with a chimp forever. Well, but, no. And, mean, it, and it's really interesting too, where you are kind of debating watching it, like if he in fact is, you know, quote unquote speaking in like this human language. Cause like, yeah, for example, like he'll know the sign for banana when he yeah. wants a banana. But you know, when a dog wants a bone, it begs on its hind legs, but it's not necessarily thinking like, hey, yeah, please, like, dude, give me one of those excellent, you know, milk bones that you have. It's more of this like reactionary, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like uh, my cat knows like 
can uh, get tell me if they want food because she just does the same thing. Yes, but she it's wants not food. necessarily. Yeah, it's a not doesn't mean human she language sort of communication. Yeah, it, like on her aspect, it's just like when I do this, this person does that. It's not. I've trained him so well. Yeah, it's <laughs> not like it's not necessarily a language thing. I'm like I'm not talking to him. They don't know what I'm saying. But yeah. They have so, an idea. but you you know you watch that and, and you kind of debate it because 125 signs is a lot, and he really does sort of end that up communicating. But all in all, he he's a wild animal and just kind of, you know, I feel maybe the abuse that he takes, not, you know, physically, but this whole sort of journey. So anyway, go get Project Nim. Part of me so and wants. And he's so cute. Part of me wants him to like start talking like with a mixture of a monkey and that Brooklyn accent of that guy at the beginning. Totally what happens. Like, that's I, that's I want, it. I want his planet of the hey, You guys style. give me more of them bananas. <laughs> <laughs> it would just make my day. Well, like, way to spoil the whole film. <laughs> that happens. Like, I'm like, this is the greatest moment of my entire life. <laughs> Somebody get this monkey a cigar. Yeah. ASAP. You have high expectations. All right. What do you I have for us? I can dream. I can dream. <laughs> Okay, so the next one I'm going to go with uh, is actually kind of a sad one, and it's Aww, sad for not the reason. I like when I you pick sad ones because I always pick sad ones. It's sad for a, a weird reason because it's seeing yeah. one, a great rock band make their absolute worst album and how they screwed up so oh, massively. No. So this is Some Kind of Monster. It was the Metallica documentary that was chronicling when they came back after Load and Reload and decided to make St. Anger. Which, if you do, you remember that album? I don't. I'm not a big Metallica fan. Well, it was not good. It okay. sounded like just garbage. Oh the, sure. There was only one song on there that was even any good. They and they just they come off looking like such wimps in this documentary. Like when you think of like rock stars, you know they have a certain like it's important to have an aura about you. Like you know, is this before Napster? Because after that, I feel like they lost all of their aura. That's kind of part of what it is. It's like you're watching them and you're like, the guy's like, well, I have a family now. Or like, okay, so Lars, the drummer, always yeah. has been a jerk. And everybody like considers him to be the jerk of the band. Okay. But boy, oh boy, does he come across like an even worse one in this documentary. Um, James, a lead singer, just, you know. You come, a lot of his like alcohol problems are like right in center about this one. So tell me, when watching this, if they look so bad, like why did they let this exist? It's unbelievable. Like when you're watching it, you're like, you you're guys, like, why they, did you like put you guys this are out? coming out terribly, huh. coming off terribly in this documentary? Why would you release this? And then well, you just that interests me, even though I'm not really into them. And then you get into like their thought process on this album, why they decided to try to do it this way, like where they were trying to come from. But then it's like it just wasn't working, and it wasn't. Wor they thought it was working when they were making it, and then like in hindsight, you're like it just failed so miserably at it. It's a kind of documentary where you could see guys, they so wanted it to be chronicling that they made this huge revolutionary album, like, and how they got to that place. And it just comes across as, like, you're just whiny, whiny singers, like, you know, just get huh. back to what you do best. And that the album they created while making this documentary was was terrible. Yeah, it was not a good album. There's like maybe so bad one album, songs. bad documentary. The documentary's good, but the like the album itself is just like you guys come across awful. It's just fascinating to think. Okay, because they're back now. Their last album, last two albums have been spectacular. Yeah, but. you know there were a couple music ones I was gonna bring up in this episode, but I didn't really. I didn't really think I could fit them in. So at some point in the future down the line, we'll definitely have to talk about some more oh, yeah, for documentaries because sure. there's a lot of really good music ones out there. What but okay, you, that sounds interesting. What you got? 
Um, I'm going to bring it down. This was hard to, to limit. So I have a few of them. We'll see how many I can talk about of the, like, the wrongly convicted. Mm. There are many of those. But um, have you seen or at least know of the Central Park Five? I know the story. Of course. So the documentary is really good. It's made by filmmakers. So Ken Burns, Sarah Burns, and David McCannon um, examined this 1989 case of the five teenagers who were wrongly convicted of raping a woman. So for people that don't know, the case is about the violent assault of Trisha Maley, who is a female jogger in New York City Central Park on April 19th, 1989. And she was just like brutally attacked. It left her in a coma for 12 days. And so she was a 28 year old investment banker. And at the time, the New York Times described it, the attack as one of the most widely publicized crimes of the 1980s. Um, and police needed to find who did it really fast. And there just so happened to be like five black teenagers in the park at that time, not near her. And that you can figure out the rest that yeah, happened. Figure out so where that story goes. Sarah Burns, who's the daughter of filmmaker Ken Burns, she worked for a summer as a paralegal in the office of one of the lawyers who was handling a lawsuit on behalf of the convicted. Mm-hmm. And it inspired her undergraduate thesis, which was the topic of racism in the media and all of the coverage of the event. So the documentary is really good because it provides like background and interviews and expert analysis and just, you know, details related to the case of these um of these five people but you know there was things that happened that pointed to someone else who probably did it this uh what is it matthias rays i believe um but the police like ignored that and were like nope we're sticking with these dudes and eventually dna evidence proved that it was him he was the sole contributor of the semen that was found on her um, and these guys went to jail from six to 13 years. Yeah. They spent in prison for just a crime they did not commit, which seemed very, very clear they did not commit because there was zero evidence that they did. Yeah. Um, I believe Ava DuVernay is making a uh, Netflix series about that subject. So that's something that's coming as well. Is she? Oh, yes, she, she was is. great because her, um, you know, that was one I was going to talk about, but it actually never went for sale. So the library doesn't own it. It mm-hmm. was like a Netflix only, but. Ava DuVernay did that 13th, which is just about the prison system and, you know, how racially motivated it is and how there are so many more black men incarcerated, um, which was it was really fascinating. But, yeah, this is, you know, one yeah. of the lead offs to that. Yeah, I might check it out, actually, because if I remember if I remember correctly, you know, certain people that are really famous nowadays right. completely overreacted to the reaction of what did happen to all these innocent people that got put in jail. I'm not going to name names or anything about yeah. people that were involved. But yeah, there please, is, please don't, because lo- you made me nervous of, just saying that a lo- <laughs> lot of it seems like a good it's an important story to watch because, you know, you don't want to it's sometimes how, like you said, the media can really get behind a story and just force their own uh, narrative out there, even if there's no actual evidence or proof of what they're saying, and they end up being wrong, and they never, it doesn't, you it's, can't take back something like it's that. Really, it sticks to It's people. really, really tough, and, you know, after you do your next one, we'll see if I can talk about the last one, which I think is the most famous one of all decu- documentary-wise about wrongly convicted, but we'll see what happens. So what do you have for us? Um, well, you know, why don't you just go ahead and mention that one? Because, Are you sure? Okay. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. I'm sure we're, that of course, running short on time, so yeah. let's get yours in. I'm sure that you've seen it, or at least part of it. So did you see West of Memphis? No, I never even heard of it, actually. Okay, so that was a documentary that was created. It actually was produced by Peter Jackson, and oh. it ties in 
other documentaries, are you familiar with the Paradise Lost series? That one I do know, yes. So about the West Memphis Three. Yeah. Okay, so this is just kind of like another... Oh, it's like a companion to that? Yes, another one of those. Okay, so it's about, in 1993, the bodies of three young boys were found mutilated and drowned in a drainage uh, canal in the Robin Hood Hills neighborhood of West Memphis. And a month later, three local teenagers were linked to the crime after one of them confessed. And then the prosecution claimed that it was a satanic cult murder. So filmmaker Amy Berg tells the story of the fight to stop the state of Arkansas from executing an innocent man, um, beginning with an examination into the police investigation that happened in 1993. And it brings new light and new evidence surrounding the arrest and conviction of Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miss Kelly, because all three were teenagers at the time, and they lost 18 years of their lives being wrongly convicted and imprisoned. Like, these, the the confession was, I mean, when you see it, they just completely pulled it out of him. Yeah, like- the kid had no idea what he was even saying. And, you know, it's been really terrible. They, they again, there was no evidence, but these kids dressed in black, Uh-oh. and they were weird. And they decided that they were in a cult, and they decided that they worshipped Satan, and they the, had a Marilyn Manson poster on. Well, it was also a, a time where this sort of satanic crimes was like really big in the media. Like people were constantly talking about it, even though it wasn't a thing that was actually happening. Yeah. Um, like the Slender Man stuff nowadays. Exactly. And these people, they suffered. I mean, 18 years in prison. And again, there's been other documentaries. It starts with the documentary Paradise Lost. And it's really difficult to watch because you're just like man, I hope I don't ever get arrested for anything that I haven't done because it doesn't seem to really matter. I mean, one of the people I think, I can't remember who, I don't remember if it's Jason or Jesse, but like every year they would go to him in jail and then be like, just say that the other two did it and we'll like, we will let you out today. Like, cause they just knew they like didn't have it. And he, every year he was like, I can't, I can't say it like we didn't do it. So what happened is they eventually get out of jail, but they're never, it's never that they're exonerated. It's like they just let them out. Yeah, they kind of have to say like, "Yeah, sure, we did it," but then they're like, "Okay, well, we'll just let you out," because they wouldn't oh. admit that they were wrong because then they could be sued and everything. So it's it's just like a really crazy case. If you're not familiar with it, please get familiar. That's some good police in there. Like, it, you know, you didn't. You know, you didn't do it. Just say you did it. And we'll it's let really you rough. Out. I mean, I feel like <clears throat> I I have to just tell myself I don't understand the pressures of having to close a highly publicized case. Oh, yeah. And that maybe when you get a bee in your bonnet and you really think, like, it is them. Like, I I don't like the way they look. You know, I don't like their attitude. It's them. That it must just be really hard for you to take a step back from that and look at other people. You know, Mm -hmm. I have to assume these are not just a bunch of people who are like, eh, eh, let's put innocent people in jail. You would hope not, but, you know, there is pressure on it. I can see from their perspective as well. Yes. Like, come on, guys. But it's happening. It happens a lot. There are, like, when you really dive into it, there are so many cases of wrongly convicted people, so... You know, that's well, for a whole other time there, I, I guess. I believe there is a stat that a person commits three felonies a day and doesn't even know it. That's because of how many laws are on the books. 
Is that true? Yeah, that's a that's a fun fact for you. So you probably committed one already and didn't even know it. Oh, what a way to start the week. And I'm yeah. pumped. I can't wait to see what my next two are. Woohoo. All right. On that note, though, um, we do have we to, to wrap of, it up. We so are out of time. Plug so it up, Jacob. Everything you hear us talk about on All Booked Up is available at your local library. So stop on by. And if we don't have it at your branch, just request it and we'll send it on over to you. And if you have any questions. That's the sound or, of it. That's, that's exactly what it sounds like, too. You nailed it. <laughs> The sound effect quality. I don't know why we're not up for an Academy Award <laughs> or an Emmy or whatever covered podcast. Way to ruin it. And you really ruined it at the end there. And if you have any questions, uh, send them to allbookedup at buffalolib.org. And uh, yeah, come ahead and meet us up and let us know what you think. Okay. And also, so a couple facts again that I think could make their own documentary. Do you know that for every human on earth, there are 1.6 million ants. Oh. Where's all the good ant documentaries? I know. We are massively uh, outgunned in that department. Although the weight, the total weight of all of those ants is about the same as all of the humans. Oh. So we're like evenly all matched. Right. Yeah, That's an awesome battle right there. Ants need to hit that gym, man. They're, they're <laughs> they're get it work up. on their bicep strength. And also something that I think would be really fascinating to get a closer look at is that 10% of all of the photos ever taken throughout the history of time were taken in the last 12 months. Really? Yeah. So every two minutes um, a day, we snap as many photos as the whole of humanity took in the 1800s. Well, so. I mean, that's not a fair comparison. You I know. stand there for 45 minutes. But it's still really interesting to think of that in terms of just like a record of things. That is pretty cool. Right? Admit. I'm bringing it. Okay, you guys, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. <laughs>